Welcome to Contributor Wednesday on Bridge the Gap Network. In this series, you'll hear from thought leaders on a variety of topics dedicated to inform, educate, and influence the senior living industry. Hello and welcome to part two of my uh, episode this month. Uh, This is the Bridge the Gap Contributor Wednesday series. My name is James Lee. I hope you have had a chance to listen to last week's episode. If not, go listen to that one first. This one will make a lot more sense because this is intended to be uh, the back half of that story. Um, We're going to go ahead and jump right into it because I want to go ahead and uh, get as much of this uh, discussed as possible. Last week's episode was about the first half of uh, what I feel is a balanced leader, and that's emotional intelligence and business intelligence. Uh, The first half of that was... um, kind of talked through last week. Um, and, and in this episode, I want to take a little bit of a departure from my normal uh, topics that tend to be a little bit more qualitative, like leadership and organizational culture, um, although I'd argue there's some quantitative parts to that. This week's episode is a little bit more geared towards the quote-unquote hard stuff. Um, so let's jump into that. Business intelligence for senior living. What I what I mean by that is um, not not just the acumen of do you, do you understand budgeting and do you understand you know how to run a P and L uh, profit and loss um, you know financial statement. Um, I mean you know do you do the other like strategic work? Do you do the um, the the work around the numbers um, that that really get at studying the business, you know, maybe even the business model of senior living itself. And so today I want to share my kind of version of that, my my vision of senior living, you know, in the future, uh, or maybe as we come out of the 2020 pandemic. If nothing else, this year has taught us uh, that the way we do business can either be disrupted internally, or it can be disrupted from outside. This year, what's unique about the um, coronavirus uh, pandemic and, and, and kind of global crisis is that we all went through the same hardship together. We, uh, we definitely had to innovate and change because of external forces. So how can we change that moving forward? How can we make innovation something that we have control over uh, and not just something we have to respond to. Um, when it when it comes to senior living, um, I, I I think there are three kind of core parts of the operations anyway that create optimum flow. Um, and when I mean optimum flow, think about an athlete that is in the zone. They they're just they're they're clicking. You know, everything is just happening right for them. Um, athletes talk about that. And that flow, that state of just kind of everything is just kind of clicking, that, that can happen outside of the sports world. That can certainly happen in business. As a former executive director, I can tell you that there are times that I felt everything was just kind of, you know, not, not going right necessarily, but that all of the team, all of the um, residents and families even, that everything was just kind of flowing together in, in an intended way. The three components of that that I've learned from others, and uh, and I certainly um, you know use this model to to help other people now. The three components that have to always be working in conjunction with one another are the people, 
side of what you do, the product, the actual uh, service of what we do, and then the processes that we follow. So people, product, process. Um, that, that, I believe, is a, is a core part of the business intelligence of an executive director, um, who's really the heart of that business, and then um, everybody else supporting the ED and their efforts. So um, optimum flow is going to be a part of what we discussed today. Um, we're going to discuss kind of this concept of innovate or die we, that was in the intro, um, but, but just kind of the, the need to cannibalize our own business. So I'm going to come back to that. Technology, I want to talk about the role of technology in senior living. I'm certainly not an expert, so this is a little bit more, you know, as a, as a topic rather than the specific components of it. Uh, another part is the, the relationship that we have to seniors. Right now, that's a pretty direct sale, uh, brick-and-mortar relationship. I want to explore the concept of acting as their agent in a marketplace. So that's, that's a fourth topic. Um, fifth is just kind of reorienting our team to creativity and imagination rather than just, um, you know, just, just kind of giving them ratios and performance metrics to, to hit. And then I want to end um, on kind of a topic uh, that, that's become very, very near and dear to me, which is the role of executives um, and senior team members on, on within a senior living organization. That's a lot to get through. Uh, I have no idea where the length of this episode is going to end. Um, as I'm recording it, I don't know where it's going to end. So uh, forgive me if it's a longer episode, but I really want to explore all of those categories. Let's start with the idea of innovate or die, uh, the, the cannibalization of our own business. Um, there, there's a lot of cautionary tales out there about um, you know, businesses that fear you know, building products or services because it competes with what they currently do. Um, and so the fear, the implicit fear there is that they do not want to create a product line or a service that cannibalizes their other products or services. So um, an, an example of this might be uh, if you are selling um, electronics, you know, and let's say you're Apple and you're building computers and it's the it's your number one source of revenue it's the thing that you've kind of created a niche position in the market and you do not want to cannibalize uh, those sales by creating other products within your line uh, we all know where that story ended right we all know that um, they don't just sell computers they of course still do that now uh, and you know do it pretty well in fact but if you think of the company Apple, you're probably thinking about the iPhone first. So, you know, believe it or not, this uh, computers, quote unquote, computers company um, did not start off wanting to make phones. Try to think about um, back to Nokia. You know, Nokia used to be a pretty significant player in the cell phone market. And, um, you know, Imagine if a quote-unquote cell phone company decided to go make televisions. You know, it sounds odd in that context, in, in quite the same way that probably people thought, well, Apple, a computer company, they're going to start making cell phones now. Um, and, then, and then from the cell phone, they started making, you know, tablets, iPads, and then um, 
you know, the, their business model has really, really expanded uh, since then. Can we all be a company that, you know, was influenced by by a creative mind like Steve Jobs? No, probably not. But we can draw a lot of lessons from that. The cannibalization of uh, services in senior living, what do I mean by that? The, the, the kind of um, implicit business model of senior living is uh, brick and mortar, that you come to a central location, uh, a piece of real estate that we have built or acquired for you. We're going to rent you the room, and we've packaged all of these services that you'll ever need, so you never have to leave. Um, you know, we'll get you your food, we'll get you your care, uh, you know, all your utilities, all your maintenance, all your food, all your social um, events. You know, we'll package all of that for you, and you just pay one convenient monthly fee for that. You know, in fact, we have collateral, we have sales uh, messaging that all centers around that, that, you know, it's a one-stop shop, come in, live with us, you'll get everything you'll ever need. But think about where else in our lives we ever subscribe to that model. You know, would you live at your gym? You know, they have all of the equipment there. So would if they offered an apartment and also a meal plan, um, you know, would you live at your gym? Probably not. Um, think about colleges. You know, that's a short period of time. That's probably the only comparable that I can think of to this kind of business model is that you're going to get everything under one roof. But the difference is that in college, it's a finite, defined time period. Um, you're going to be there for four years, five years if you're not studying uh, very, very hard. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're going to have a defined period of time where you're paying the money, um, but there's a very aspirational finish to it. There's there's something that you're moving toward. In senior living, that value proposition is different. It's it's a kind of a perpetual unknown time period, and it's really hard. It's really hard to um, amortize your costs over an unknown customer lifetime, and that's senior living. Uh, it's different, you know, for colleges, but yeah. That's kind of, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole. There's probably going to be a few rabbit holes uh, in this episode that I'm going to chase. But to kind of come back to this idea of cannibalizing that, our own business. Well, if our primary good that we're selling is, you know, a brick and mortar direct sale relationship to seniors, you know, could we cannibalize our revenue stream by doing something different? I think so. And it may not be for everybody, but it certainly will be for some, you know, innovators, some teams that are kind of equipped to do this, some executives that have the right risk tolerance and, uh, and access to, to the right lenders and capital providers who also have that same vision. So it's, you know, it's going to be a narrow group of people that I think are going to go for it. But that's what this episode is about. It's about dreaming. It's about a vision of something different than what we have now. So the answer to that question, can we cannibalize our own business of of all of those prepackaged goods sold in one physical location? I think the answer is yes, and I'll explore that through some of these other topics. Okay, in order to get through those other topics, we have to first talk about how, the components, everything else, that that uh, the inputs of that innovation. Uh, earlier, I talked about people, product, and process. The the three, imagine a Venn diagram that kind of three circles that intersect 
uh, one another. And at the very center, where all three intersect, that's optimum flow. When you increase that center intersection, um, the, the greater you create flow within your team, the more that your business is kind of, um, that's the speed that we should all be after. The speed of trust, you know, it's called a lot of different things, but essentially when you're all on the same page, uh, your business is going to have a lot of uh, acceleration to, to your goals. So there probably, again, could be an entire episode just to this. So let me just try to distill, you know, a few things here. Let me start with people. Um, having the best people on your team um, requires a very kind of uh, creative mindset, I think, in the leader. Um, again, in the last episode, I talked about not hiring for culture fit, but hiring for compliments to your culture. What's missing and how do you fill those gaps? In, in being an employer of choice, you know, we, we, I think as an industry, we really don't put as much focus on that as we do around, you know, trying to create the best care, et cetera. But companies that really go all in on being the employer of choice and seeing that, um, that, you know, some of the high skill roles like an executive director um, and others, depending on your strategy, that they are the heart of of whether or not um, you're gonna you're gonna be successful, and if you're gonna be competitive uh, to anybody else in your market. You know, the reality is, you know, I, I've certainly done enough hiring for community leadership to know that in in any given market, you know, your your kind of main managerial positions, if they have experience, they typically have experience at another competitor in that market. And if they have that experience, they may even have, you know, a second or a third uh, kind of community where they've had that experience. In short, you know, all we're doing is we're recycling talent from one company to another. That's not good for senior living. And it's certainly not good for the person um, that's moving around. I get that we're not going to all want to work in one place for the rest of our careers. I certainly haven't. Um, but but I can understand from both perspectives, as an employee and as an employer, that kind of, uh, that, that tax that we, that we impose to residents on the inefficiency of keeping our people. So getting uh, really great people, I think, begins with identifying what is your strategy um, and who are the, what are the A- players within those positions that are going to advance your strategy. I have an earlier episode um, about A positions versus A players, and that's kind of where I'm going with this, is that you need to hire for those A positions first. Those are the ones that are strategically very important to your organization. So um, being an employer of choice, there's a lot of effort that we need to put in there and a lot of companies, particularly small to mid-sized companies, outsource their HR. They outsource their, um, you know, their, their recruiting process. And those are all practical needs, certainly at first. But if HR and talent management is not a specific part of your business strategy, it's just incidental. And um, I don't think that even ties to just size of the company. 
I'm aware of many, you know, larger companies that that treat the people development part of their business as really kind of a secondary or a, you know, uh, kind of a necessary evil part of their business. It should be one of the core parts of your business. When it comes to product, um, I think that we tend to be very heavily focused on care. But part of what I'm going to talk about, you know, throughout this episode is that care is not a really great, uh, it's not a compelling value proposition for our customers. Um, In short, they don't want what we are selling. And what we're selling is care. You need care. um, So we're going to we're going to get it together for you and and then sell it to you. People don't want that. So the, the, the question here is, how do we transform senior living from I need it to I want it? Is that possible? I think yes. So the product, uh, the services of what we provide, um, that has to be really keyed in to our overall strategy. And then the processes are the things that we do to get there. And I think one of the things that we do poorly as an industry is leverage technology. We think of technology generally um, and generically as, you know, as electronic devices that seniors can use, uh, wear, and, and it's, it's a very kind of you know, one-note view of technology. Technology is a tool. It's a tool to reduce friction. Uh, and I'm going to uh, talk about that next, but uh, but let me let me pull back to people, product, and process. All three of those things have to be working in conjunction with one another in order for your business to be thriving. Uh, a colleague of mine, uh, notably, uh, said, "James, you know, there's there's probably a fourth P in there, and that's passion." Um, I love that. I love passion. Um, I think. It's not so much a competency, but it's something that kind of binds the other three together. So passion is is the binding agent that keeps that Venn diagram together and those circles from kind of floating off from one another. So uh, to create optimum flow, your teams, particularly from the leadership perspective, need to be looking for and managing those three components. Okay, so if you can do a really great job of managing the people, the product and process parts of your job and, and fuse those together through, through passion, uh, you can gain profit margin. Um, the idea, you know, very simply is you can either increase your revenue or you can lower or optimize your, you know, cost of goods sold, your operating expenses, and then that gets you greater uh, net operating income, your NOI, your gross margin. Um, but that's not the bottom line. The bottom, bottom line is after you've taken out, you know, taxes and insurance and fees and all that. So your net income at the very, very bottom of your financial statement, um, that's, that's what you're left with after everything is said and done. Um, so I want to take that and kind of launch into um, this, this concept that senior living in its current state relies on a uh, on a on a principle called operating leverage, it relies on um, you being able to cover the high cost and the high value of our assets, which is typically our real estate, the building, the land, uh, the the equipment, the stuff that we've bought to kind of you know move our move our business forward. Um, the analogy I use for this, well, actually, before I go to the analogy, 
um, when we rely on the operating leverage of senior living, what we mean by that is um, that it takes a lot of effort to cover those costs. But when you do, your margins can grow pretty quickly. That's why at, you know, whatever your break even is, when you've covered all of your basic costs, um, your margin right after break even might be small, 5%. um, But then, you know, incrementally, as your occupancy goes up, that margin starts to spread um, bigger. It's not a linear growth after break-even. It's an exponential growth after break-even. That's a basic concept of operating leverage. The, you know, w- when times are good, they're really good. When times are bad, they're really bad. That's the double-edged sword of operating leverage. So the example that I use for this to kind of, you know, simplify it and, and you know, understand it is the concept of a lemonade stand. You know, if you if you if you're a, a kid that's ever operated a le- lemonade stand or an adult, maybe adults operate lemonade stands. Uh, but if you're a person that has uh, built one uh, in front of your house, lemonade stands kind of they, they they depend on operating leverage. Let's say that you borrow hundred bucks from mom um, and, because mom is the lender, and mom has said. Okay, here here's a hundred bucks to start you off this summer. Um, I want you to pay me back twenty five dollars every uh, month, uh, beginning in May, and I want you to pay me back my hundred bucks plus eight percent. You know, eight dollars on top of that by the end of the summer. So those are the loan terms. Um, the the lemonade stand is gonna be really successful if you've covered the cost of that $108 early. Everything after is gravy, right? So you go to the store, you buy sign or you buy things to make signs, you buy lemons, water, I, you know, whatever, all the sugar, all the things that go into building your lemonade stand. Um, and then let's say, you know, it, it costs you $75 out of that 100 to just get started day one. Um, and then $25, you put that aside to go buy more lemons and other stuff. So you have $25 left left over. Now, until you, and let's say that you sell lemonade at $1 per cup. You got to sell 75 cups of lemonade to just cover your, your startup cost for that lemonade stand. That's, you know, high operating leverage. So, if times are bad, if it starts raining, if you have a particularly rainy month of June, right when you've started it, um, that's not good. When times are bad, times are bad. But conversely, let's say that June is a hot month. Let's say that people are out and about. They've heard your lemonade is really great, and your business has just killed it in in June. You've you've sold 125 cups of lemonade in June. You've covered all of your startup costs. You've covered your debt the, uh, obligation to your mom. And so everything that you sell in July and August uh, is going to be pure profit. So when times are good, they're really good. I think senior living, not to oversimplify it into a lemonade stand, I understand there's going to be nuance to this, but generally that's what senior living is. There's a high startup cost, and we got to cover those startup uh, the, the 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 cost of those assets, and then everything after that kind of has a snowball effect of profit margin. Sounds good, but when times are bad, they're bad, and in 2020, 
Times were bad. Um, times were not great for most people in senior living. So it begs the question: Can we do something different? Can we kind of reconstitute our risk uh, into a different business model? Is that possible? Again, the answer is not going to be yes for everybody, because a lot of people have bought lemonade stands,、uh, and you're kind of tied to that. But for for organizations that are able to do it, maybe they can think of a different way to take that money and not go buy a lemonade stand, but think about what is the actual value that people in this industry,、uh, the, the customers in this industry, want. What do they actually want from us? So, operating leverage、um, is something that we need to understand. We don't need to be tied to it. It's not the only way. I think. That senior living exists. Okay, if you are still with me、uh, through this episode, we're getting more and more into the meat of it. So, if we want to change a little bit of our business model,、um, or wait, I'm not quite there yet at at changing the business model. But where I am at is to talk about、um, to to improve the profitability of our business. We can either increase our revenues or lower our expenses. Again, way overgeneralizing that, but in principle, I can either charge more for the lemonade or I can buy less expensive lemons. Right? That's it.、Um, in senior living, to reduce it down to the lemonade example, we can either charge more people for rent and care or try to lower the cost of the expenses: labor, food, utilities, whatever. Um, and that's typically how、uh, most of our industry manages it. Can we? Do we have room to increase market rates? Do we have room to increase our annual, you know, level of care incre- increases?、Uh, do we have room and opportunity to reduce overtime, to reduce PRD, to reduce, you know,、um, whatever spending in in any number of categories? I think that. One of the things that we're really missing here is in is in the kind of、uh, realm of technology. The role of technology impacts both revenue and expenses. I think that it can actually optimize your expenses,、um, and I think that it can really speed up and diversify revenue. When we think about adopting technology in senior living, most people think, "Oh, should we get iPads for the the caregivers to to chart their their care?" That's one kind of, yeah, yeah. That's something we can do, but just thinking about technology in general, technology makes work easier. It makes the work easier. So what it does is it reduces friction in the work, and therefore, if you reduce friction, you lower cost.、Um, think about a carpenter or、um, or any person that works with his or her hands,、um, and think about. The value of those tools to that、uh, to that professional, you know, they're not piloting technologies. They're not saying, "Oh, you know, I I've only used a hammer my whole career, but there's this thing called a screwdriver that's kind of hit the market. Yeah, let's pilot that for a month. Let me see if I'm going to use it or not. But probably not. You know, maybe my tool belt has one space on it, and that's my hammer." You know, technology is nothing more than a tool to help you to get, you know, to reduce friction to get your job done.、Um, so, 
what are the technologies in senior living that are going to either diversify, grow your revenue, or lower slash optimize your expenses? I think the technology that gives you insight to data, to human behavior, to your customer behavior in particular, I think that's the stuff that's going to really expand your revenue. um, And then it's going to also really give you insight as to where you're spending money. Right now, we categorize uh, where we're spending money in really broad buckets. Um, And I think that and, and that on top of the way that we manage people, product, process, there are so many areas of inefficiency. You know, there's leaks all over the business model where you lose a cent here, you lose a cent there. But in the aggregate, in total, those one or two cents here or there adds up to a lot. Um, I call that the inefficiency tax that residents have to pay. You know, it's the margin that that we have to put on top of the cost of what we deliver on top of what we hope to gain in terms of profit, we got to put that in there because we're leaking inefficiency in different areas of our business. Technology is one way that we can get insight as to where we're losing those expenses or where our customers are giving us signals of what they need or what they want. As an example, I think one of the most underutilized technologies is Uh, resident data around engagement. You know, we all are familiar with electronic health records and EMARs and CRMs and financial systems, sure. But that doesn't really give us data as to what residents want. So I'm going to use EHR, the, the electronic health record where we store, you know, care services, medication administration, um, falls and occurrences, Okay. So EHR is where, we're reco- where we are recording all of that. Let me slow down. I'm starting to stumble my words because I'm so excited about this topic. In the EHR, we are recording care data. Okay, good, but not, not good enough. All we're recording there is something that our residents need but don't want. Okay, Hope you follow what I mean there. I don't mean that they don't want care. It's just, it's not something that they're not, you know, seniors are not knocking down our doors because they want care. Um, it's it's a thing that they feel reserved to receive and almost feel um, resentful that they, you know, have to take their money and, and, and pay for. What they really want, I think what seniors really want is fulfillment, is the opportunity to pursue fulfillment. Um, and care is is a means to that fulfillment. It is not fulfillment itself. Think about it in your own life. Eating well, being healthy, exercising, going to your doctor, taking care of yourself. In other words, care. Do you get up every day so that you can care for yourself? No, you take care of yourself so you can pursue your goals. I want to stay healthy because I want to be able to um, play with my children, right? I want to be able to run and, you know, do all those things and go hiking. I want to do all that stuff with my kids. So I got to stay healthy in order to do that. One example, care is not the end. It's the means to the end. And I think seniors really, you know, never change in terms of that mentality because do you feel older in your mind than you did 20 years ago? 
No, I have that conversation all the time with my friends. That man, I can't believe I'm X years old.、Uh, I feel like I was just eighteen. My body's changing, but my mind still feels that same kind of eagerness and that same kind of wonder of of an eighteen year old kid. Seniors are exactly the same way. Their brains, their aspirations, their 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 kind of aspiration for fulfillment doesn't change. So if we start. If we stop treating care as the end、uh, or the primary value,、uh, but if we if we see care as a means to an end, it helps our residents get to what they want, which is fulfillment. That was a long tirade, so let me try to reel back in here.、Um, technology allows for seniors to get there, and capturing the data around resident engagement, I think, gets to the want. Capturing data around the EHR. Certainly measures the need, but we need to measure the want more than we need to measure the need. I hope you have a pen and paper because that was was a little confusing saying out loud.、Um, so I'm sure it's confusing hearing it. So let me let me say that again: resident engagement technologies that that record、um, you know resident activities, what they want, surveys, communication between them and staff and family. All of these things that fill up the twenty-two, twenty-three other hours besides when they're receiving care—that's recording seniors' wants. Recording, you know, did we do the shower reminder? Did we pass the medication? Did we、uh, document the fall? All of that in the EHR is just documenting people's、uh, needs, but we need to document people's wants. That's where we can expand our business model. Okay, holy smokes! This episode is going really long, but if you're still listening, you you, you probably want to hear you know the end of it. So I'm just going to keep going.、Um, all right. So we've talked about how, you know the need to cannibalize our own business. We've talked about you know creating optimum flow by the intersect of people, product, and process、uh, bound together with passion. We've talked about、um, operating leverage and what that means to senior living. And then、uh, now we just we have just talked about the role of technology in senior living. Technology, we are very very slow in our industry to adopt technology. I think it's because we look at it the wrong way. Technology is not a thing. It's not a device. It's not something that we kind of give to the in the hands of our residents or families or or staff.、Um, technology are tools to help reduce the friction in our work. It's to speed up. Our work and and make that cost、uh, of friction less burdensome. So now that takes us into、um, my my kind of core、uh, message here, which is to try and transform our industry from a traditional brick and mortar business model into more of a hybrid between a a brick and mortar and a marketplace. I know that's a buzzword, marketplace, but but. Stay with me here. A traditional brick and mortar store is is basically,、um, you know, I've heard it described as warehousing seniors. It's putting all of the seniors in one central location so that we can bundle up our goods and services and provide it in in one space. Great. But what about the seniors that don't want to live in your communities? That don't need to live in your communities, but could probably benefit from the things that you do well. 
the things that we do well is not just care. It's not just food. It's not those individual components. I think the thing that is of value is our know-how. We know how to do this. We know how to coordinate care. We know how to bring people together, um, you know, uh, business professionals. We call them referral sources sometimes. Uh, we know how to do all of those things to optimize value to the resident, to the senior. I think that's the thing of value. It's not the real estate itself. The real estate is almost incidental in that value proposition. So if our know-how is the thing that residents, uh, that seniors can benefit from, then the question is, how do we monetize that know-how? So here's an off-the-wall idea. Maybe not that off-the-wall, because I think there's some people doing this. It's, it's to create a hybrid customer that's not just resident, but it includes members. It includes people who are going to pay for certain parts of your business, but are not going to live with you. So think about, go back to the college or university. Think about how many people don't want to quit their full-time jobs and go be in college for four years. Universities have figured out how to create you know, part-time um, education tracks, uh, executive uh, graduate degrees where you can work and go to school at the same time. You have to change the time uh, that, that you commit. It, it's longer. Um, the cost is going to be different, but they've figured out a way to provide services to, to their customers, the student, without forcing a brick-and-mortar style to, to learning. It has expanded even further due to the, the coronavirus uh, pandemic era of 2020. So online education, which was kind of, I don't know, just kind of on the fringe there. Not, not a lot of uh, institutions wanted to go there, but now everyone's forced to do it. And I think what's going to come out of it is that there's going to be greater reach uh, of education uh, through online means. So, but this is not an episode about education. This is an episode about senior living. I think that if we go from just a brick and mortar business model into a hybrid of that plus marketplace, we use our know-how to basically act as agents for seniors. Instead of being the seller to our customers, what if we were the, uh, the network? What if we created the network of sellers to our customers? So right now, we have to be experts at very different things. We have to be experts at the real estate. You know, we are a multifamily business. On top of that, we are also a restaurant. And on top of that, we are also a care agency. And on top of that, we are a social um, kind of center for seniors. Lots of other little ancillary things. But in general, we have to be experts at a lot of different things. So... Instead of being trying to be the expert at all of those things, what if we were the marketplace for other people who wanted to be great at those things? So, you know, if we didn't want to run a full-fledged restaurant that serves three meals a day for X number of residents, but if we had the means to bring together other people who wanted to do that work, but had a place to sell that food, right? So you're going to, like meal deliveries isn't, that crazy anymore. Um, I've, I've had tons of uh, different meal delivery um, services. I've had, 
you know, the Blue Apron and HelloFresh and those kind of things I've used, Seamless and Grubhub. You know, I've, I leverage technology to diversify getting food to me. Why don't we do the same thing for seniors, right? But the, but the interesting thing is there's a, um, for, for a lot of the residents who are living in that community, there's one central location for it. If you are a member of that community, then you also access the know-how, the marketplace of getting great, diverse food, where we as an industry could, or, or a business kind of pursuing this business model uh, could benefit, is that you charge a commission for that or, or a fee, a transaction fee. So you're the marketplace, you take a smaller percentage, but think about, you you know, if, if it's a 2 3% um, fee on top of that uh, of that meal cost, well, that's revenue that you weren't going to get before. Anyway, you just put the, you have to put the work into creating the marketplace. Um, and also, it, you, you've expanded your uh, customer base by including people who will not live with you. That's kind of the, the main point. The examples I give aren't going to be perfect, because uh, I'm kind of going off the top of my head. But the, but the principle itself of being a hybrid of brick and mortar plus marketplace, that is, you know, we can do that with any number of things. One other example I'll give you here is particularly near and dear to me, which is resident engagement. We try to be experts at social engagement, but this is frustrating for me because I have been an activities director, I've been a caregiver, I've been an ED, and I can tell you, I'm going to channel my colleagues um, that, that are also passionate about this. I think it is really, really almost criminal to think about how little money we put into these departments. Um, you know, when you look at trying to run a, a engaging um, resident engagement program off of $600 a month, you know, $1,000 maybe. Um, you know, I, I don't know of many communities that have um, resident engagement budgets that match their marketing budgets. And you may say, well, that's not practical. You know, we have to spend money on sales and marketing. It's the source of our revenue. You know, I, a counterpoint to that is if you have a great product and service, that is better marketing. How often do we say that the best referral is the one that we get from a happy resident. Well, this is putting our money where our mouth is, almost, almost literally, that if we put our money, if we put our technologies, if we put our budgets, if we put you know, those A positions that I'm talking about in resident um, engagement, if we created a marketplace that um, we don't have to be the experts, but we're the physical location where those experts can come uh, be a part of our community, you know, right now we have a vendor relationship to those people. So if we want somebody to come in and do yoga, we pay them, I don't know, $100 for that session. They do an hour-long session for 8 to 10 residents, and then next month we do the same thing. Well, instead of doing that, what if we had a space where any number of yoga instructors, you know, they create their own pricing, they create their own marketing, they you know, they create the service and our residents vote based on their dollar, right? 
So if we're able to reduce the cost of living in our communities, but we subsidize our revenue by taking a fee from these uh, these vendor partners who are vying for the dollars of our residents, I think that's that's an interesting way to to get at a different margin. If we really went all in after this strategy, we could kind of think about what would senior living look like 20 years from now if we started that practice and then evolved from there? I think the physical blueprint of our communities would look different. I think our apartments would be less uh, of our our total uh, footprint, and I think we'd have a lot of different amenities in our communities. And then we would be seeking to monetize those multi-purpose rooms, the theaters, the uh, classrooms, you know, I, I think the physical look of our communities would be different, uh, certainly if we adopted a different business model. Okay, this this takes me into hopefully kind of a, a, a quick tangent on the role of leadership within all of this. Um, you, you can see that I'm kind of building layers onto a different business model. Um, this is a really good time to interject uh, the, the role of creativity and imagination into the future of senior living. I think, you know, I've, I've had a chance to work with several different organizations. Uh, and even if I weren't, if, even if I wasn't employed directly by some of the organizations I'm thinking of, um, I certainly have colleagues that are in uh, enough different organizations that I, that I, I, I can get a sense of, you know, is this feeling of frustration or, um, kind of the way of doing things, is it consistent enough across our industry that this is a real thing? I think so. I think, I think this is a real thing, um, what I'm talking about and, and this topic I'm about to go into, which is, you know, we have a very formulaic approach to the community operations. Um, it's, you know, increased sales, lower expenses, and then hopefully you have a good NOI. And not that EDs are not capable. Uh, in fact, I think I think EDs are, are very, very capable of doing something different, about looking at our business different. But we don't coach different than that. You know, we, and when we have our one-on-one calls with executive directors, we tend to kind of say, hey, here are the here are the um, etched in stone KPI. Here's the proven method we have to do these things, and this is the only way of doing things, I think that, you know, it, it, it puts people into autopilot. They're not thinking creatively about their business. Think about the stuff that that I'm talking to you about here on this episode. I didn't, like, come up with these thoughts as a executive sitting in a C-suite role. These are all things that came from working in a community. These are all things that I start, the genesis of some of these thoughts started years and years ago as a sales director or as an activities director, and they just kind of grew over time. Creativity and imagination, that I think is the key to innovating in our space. So if we want creativity, we can't just say, you know, we can't just have a quarterly meeting where we bring people together and say, hey, put all your creative ideas out there. That's not creativity. I mean, get everybody involved in understanding and defining the problem get everybody involved in understanding and formulating parts of the strategy and certainly get everybody involved in the execution of that strategy and where you are in relation to it uh, in, in the timeline. 
we have to promote autonomy. We have to promote autonomous thinking uh, at the community level, and that means we have to coach differently. Um, we have to, you know, budget differently. We have to give money to executive directors um, and, and say, you know, you're going to apply this in whatever you see fit, but here's our strategy. And you and I have talked about that strategy. So here's a bucket of resources that you can use to advance your strategy. You are in the best position to make that decision. I trust you. Uh, let's have, you know, weekly check-ins so that I can help, you know, um, answer questions and steer you in the right direction. But you're in the best vantage point to make that execution decision. Promoting autonomy starts at the leadership level, and we have to change the way, the way that we talk about day-to-day -day operations in, in the senior living communities. The second part of that is that we have to embrace risk-taking. I can't tell you how many times as an executive director, my ideas were either, you know, given life and, and you know, the person, the RDO behind me said, go for it. That sounds great. You know, um, you're, you're doing all of the other right things. Let's take that risk. Let's, let's pursue this opportunity. Or the idea was shot down, right? Or the idea was, mm, James, we got to focus on our, our basics first. We got we to gotta focus on the kind of core parts of what we do before we start getting fancy. I don't think creativity and imagination are linear and, and, and they don't follow a, you know, a, a profitability track, meaning that if your margin is low, that you are going to kind of defer or, or kind of put creativity and imagination to the side I think you need it more than ever. I think that's when you really can benefit from it. So, um, quick aside there, but you know, creativity is it, tr creativity trumps intelligence, uh, and I think imagination trumps experience. So we have to foster for those things if we want more of it in our organizations. Okay, I am at the last uh, prepared category anyway. Uh, thanks so much for sticking with me uh, through this episode. Uh, but it's the last one. Uh, it's the last one of the contributor series, so I'm, I'm going all out. Um, so to recap where we are here, all of these things that I've just discussed, um, cannibalizing our own business by, uh, by, by kind of creating a hybrid of brick and mortar plus marketplace, um, designing for optimum flow, that's the intersect between people, product, process, and holding it together through passion. Um, the role of technology within um, that strategy, the, the shifting of um, our mindset to work as an agent on behalf of our seniors and get as many possible solutions to your marketplace, uh, to your community marketplace, versus the direct sales relationship, um, kind of co commerce relationship that we have with residents now, and then um, reorienting to creativity versus just a PNL mindset, and I and I'd argue that we don't even really have a great PNL mindset. Um, that that the way that we coach executive directors and community managers, we have a long way to go. But we should strive to creativity and imagination, and not just straightforward, you know, business acumen. The last thing I want to talk about is the role of executives and senior. Um, members of an organization. What I think is incredibly uh, important 
for us as an industry is that we are led by people who have experiential empathy. Um, what I mean by that is that I have had the great privilege of being able to care for our residents with my own hands. Um, I've been a caregiver. I've worked overnight shifts. Um, I've had coworkers that are living paycheck to paycheck. I have helped a resident in the middle of the night uh, in their you know, most profound moment of vulnerability um, to, to help them change and to um, get at this task of dignity in a way that it, that it matters, that it informs the way that I was an executive director because I, ha- I helped that person uh, to navigate a very uh, personal uh, and intimate care need. You know, I've, I've had to make those phone calls to resident family members that their loved one passed away. Um, I've had to be in the room as that's happening. Um, I have had the great privilege of being at, I don't know, 50 different memorial services. And I think that's, that's just such a great privilege. It informs everything that I think about. It informs my my pace, it informs my need for uh, talking about stuff like this and working at innovation and not just talking about it. Every job I've had in senior living for the last six or seven years, probably, I've approached it with the mindset that it is a case study. I want people at the end of my work to look back on it and ask the question, how did he do that? You know, great, the, the, the results look good. How did he get there? I've been very intentional about answering that question in the future, that I want to be able to point to these exact things that I talk about on this episode and other episodes. It all comes from a case study approach to my work that let's, let's you know, make sure that the proof is here. So I think when it comes to executives and senior members of our organizations, empathy is, you know, Again, going back to the last episode, empathy is the ability to understand and predict other people's emotions, especially when it comes to your decision-making. Executives make decisions all the time that impact the lives of residents and families and staff, employees. But is it informed by experiential empathy? I think that there's certainly room for people in C-suite roles that have never worked uh, a shift in senior living um, at the community level. But it doesn't have to stay that way. So there, there are simple ways that we can get um, our, our executives that experiential empathy. And I think part of it is just asking that all executives have to regularly go do a caregiving shift. Um, I think it means that executives have to be intimately involved in the day-to-day operations of at least one community. I don't mean all of them, but if the CEO of a 200-property um, company adopted one community and got to know those residents, had to make those phone calls along with the ED, had to take a call you know, from an ED is on vacation for four days, great, you're on call, CEO, for that community. Those type of experiential empathy moments, I think, can inform 
the the initiatives that we kind of you know send down the the pipeline. It informs the decisions that we make. That empty chair that I talked about in the last episode, making decisions as if those impacted by the decision can hear you. That's what I mean by experiential empathy. I think that the future of senior living is bright. I, I'm I'm in it. I'm in it for the long haul. And I know so many of my peers out there who are feeling, I think, a productive level of frustration. I hope that you channel that in the new year. I hope that you take all of this and take ideas like this and, and create your own. Create your own voice in this space. We need it. We want it. Talk about the stuff that matters to you. And you're not going to be 100% right. I'm not 100% right. At best, I hope I'm 50% right. But the risk, the personal risk is I'm putting it out there and I'm telling you I'm working for it. And I know there are others out there that, that feel the same way, that maybe think their voice isn't needed in this space, but it is. And more than your voice, we need your heart. We need your belief that innovation is something that has to come from within our industry and not forced upon us by a pandemic. So here's to 2021, here's to the future of senior living, and here's to all of you who are educating and informing and influencing this space. Let's get after it. Let's get after it together. I want to thank Josh, Lucas, Sarah, the BTG team for giving me this platform for the BTG Contributor Wednesday series. And I think it's okay to say I'm going to be so, I'm so privileged to uh, have had this opportunity, and it's going to lead to something really cool next year, which I'm terribly frightened about, uh, but equally excited, and that's to spin off into my own show. So a few of us on, on the Contributor Wednesday series is going to, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to do that, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just starting to kind of think through what a show in senior living is that's you know entirely kind of produced out of uh, the thoughts I have and the aspirations I have for our industry. So I don't have all the details to share with you yet. I don't even have a title for the show. All I can tell you is that I'm committed to this um, and I'm committed to sharing your perspectives and your story as well. So in 2021, I'm going to keep being vulnerable. I'm going to keep putting myself out there in the hopes that you are in any way sparked with some kind of curiosity or inspiration um, to do your own thing uh, or to join me in this work. And uh, so, you know, in the new year, we'll have a new show. Um, and I'm really excited about all of the ways that, that that can serve you. But for now, thank you for letting me be a part of your week or your month, um, for listening to five minutes of this or the entire hour plus whatever uh, this episode ended up being. Thank you for uh, letting me be a part of that day. Have an awesome day. Uh, Have a great end of the year. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you in the new year. This is James Lee signing off from the Contributor Wednesday series. Thanks for listening to Contributor Wednesday series on Bridge the Gap Network. For more information about the contributors and for a full library of episodes, visit btgvoice.com.